You're listening to Once, episode 223, Broken Heart. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode. If you want to follow along in the show notes or share this episode, please go to oncepodcast.com slash 223. Jeremy, has your opinion of this episode changed now that we have watched it a couple times? Uh, no. Nope. Not really. I enjoyed it rewatching it more, but only because I like the characters and I like, well, when they're being themselves, which was hit or miss in this episode. And I enjoy watching the show and I knew what to expect this time. And I've already spent days ranting privately and to others about various aspects. So now I get to rant with all of you. I felt like it took... (laughs) me the three times i've watched this episode to really understand how everything fits together and for it to make sense and it to not be full of all kinds of plot holes and logic problems well there are certain plot holes and logic problems that cannot be escaped no matter how much it fits together however i felt having seen it twice myself that the second time through i was able to pick out a few more little pieces and say I think I know how they got to the idea that this would be a good idea, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Well, let's go through that process, starting with the past. Hook wakes up in this vault, and I thought it was interesting that first he was transported inside the vault, and then the darkness surrounded him like it did, and then he comes up through the vault. Seemed uh, pretty transformative, didn't it? Yeah. Pretty, Pretty existentially transformative apart from say past experiences or memory or anything like that didn't it yeah (laughs) one of the things that i think a lot of people have wondered is why wasn't hook sparkly in any way he gave into the darkness very quickly it decided that guy liner is enough i think for the most part the dark ones get to decide whether they'll look a certain way hmm think so I think so. Not that Rumpel and Nimue and uh, other dark ones that we've seen have chosen to look reptilian in that way, but I think they chose to allow themselves to look that way. That that's, in a sense, that's the way they naturally look when they become the dark ones. Mm -hmm. But if you see them looking anything differently, then it's because they've chosen to make themselves look a different way other than the default reptilian way. I would agree with you, except that one episode prior, Emma involuntarily snapped to her apparent true dark one self and had no skin problems whatsoever. Yeah. And you can't say it acts differently on women because there was Nima way. <laughs> exactly. But the thing to remember here is in this little scene that we see Hook being enveloped by this swirl of darkness all mm-hmm. around him. It goes back to the end of season four when the same thing happened to Regina and then happened to Emma. 
And they said, and this is what was happening here, is that the darkness was snuffing out the light. That's what the darkness does. How come it was happening to Emma in the middle of town and not in the dark one vault? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, because there, the reason it happened there is because the darkness was released there in town. True. It still goes back to why didn't this happen to Rumple this way or Nimue when she first became the Dark One, but maybe she gets a free pass since she was the first Dark One. I still have the question, why was Emma even able to pull out of Merlin whatever it was she pulled out and transfer it remotely through the sword into Hook and why was it darkness? I still don't understand that. Has anyone else figured this out? I don't think she pulled anything out of Merlin. She simply untethered Merlin. And it was kind of the mm. stuff that came out of him was kind of in a way that tethering. Except that he wasn't tethered until Zelina did it and he always had the power. Right. But he was that we never <laughs> saw that stuff come out of him before then. True. Exactly. Anyway, just wanted to point out that that's still hanging out there. Not making a whole lot of sense. <laughs> well, the thing to remember through our entire conversation mm -hmm. here and in the discussion about this episode, the main thing is remember, the darkness, what it does best is snuff out the light. That's what the darkness wants to do is snuff out the light. Keep remembering that throughout this entire discussion because we'll, be keep, we'll keep coming back to that. That's the main thing that's going on here. The main thing that's driving everything is darkness wants to snuff out the light. That is a good call out. And so it did this by showing him or tried to do this by showing him all the worst moments of his life. Yeah. And showing Emma too. But I think when it showed Emma with the darkness snuffing her light out, it was to remind us maybe a little bit, or at least remind me, that <laughs> darkness wants to snuff out the light. That's when they first said it is when Regina was inside. They said, what is it doing? And they said, it's what darkness does. It's snuffing out the light. So now with Hook being the dark one, everyone tries to find him. And of course, his footsteps end very quickly. After the moment where Rumple, Head Rumple, says hi, as Hook comes out of the vault, I noted that he first starts out saying that he won't listen, like Emma did, which I still find a little confusing. Did it snuff out the light or didn't it? Why was he resisting? I think he was initially resisting mm -hmm. because he knew he didn't want this darkness, but he gives up at some point or he gets convinced at some point later, which we'll be discussing. Well, all right then. So at this point, yes, he's interested in, he has this fighting going on inside him. I think part of that being, oh, I, I yes, I want my revenge because he's initially giving over to it. He doesn't know how to control it yet. It's not until later when he's with Emma that he realizes how he can control it, but then Emma blows that. So then he's off to find his way around and wreak havoc in the way that he'll be doing it as the Dark One. Meanwhile, everyone else comes to the vault. And something that stood out to me is that Merlin said of all the paths he saw mm. for Emma, that means he can see multiple paths could I think, see. for multiple people. Yeah, could see. It wasn't just a single, I can see the future, but it's, I can see many potential futures. Right. And he said this was the darkest. Yeah. Because Emma, after all, has the greatest potential for darkness. Mm. Sure. <laughs> Once upon a time and superlatives. And we see Lancelot 
for just a moment and then send him off. Yes. Which <laughs> some people mentioned that as part of another sort of issue that we'll talk about later. To me, did it not scream foreshadowing Lancelot and the Lady of the Lake will be appearing either next week or next year? I was thinking the same it thing. It felt like total setup. Why even bother mentioning where he's going or show him at all? Right. If if it wasn't to set something up that was about to happen. Because as far as we know, he's not in Storybrooke. And as far as we know, but Yeah, and the lake was a two days journey away. And that they're saying that kind of tells me maybe he was outside of the reach of this curse. In fact, I doubt this will happen, but next week's episode could open with the curse hitting him or with him finding his mother and then the curse hitting and taking them both and they appear somewhere in Storybrooke and decide to lay low for a little while. No, that could be too. But a nice reference back to Lady of the Lake, I think. And uh, Jacqueline wanted to point out that in Arthurian tradition, Nimue is the Lady of the Lake. She also goes by Vivian or Nevian, uh, but I guess they are not going that route here in Once Upon a Time. <laughs> For the they? record, <laughs> the creature that appeared in What Happened to Frederick is not the Lady of the Lake. Remember, the creature that Charming killed. She's a siren from Greek mythology, similar but different mythos. It would almost work. There could be some weird plot twistiness that would make Nimue his mother, if not for the timeline. But then again, all they have to do is put the wrong time caption on and we're good. <laughs> or find some way that uh, that Lancelot was frozen in time as well. Because, I mean, that is just very common. He could be immortal and we not know it. <laughs> After all, one of the things with the Arthurian legend and the quest for the Holy Grail uh-huh. uh, in Arthurian legend among the things that the Holy Grail is said to do is give people eternal life. And uh, maybe there's also some connection even with Nyx being the Lady of the Lake, as Matthew Paul pointed out. You know... Nyx being from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, by the way. It's been observed that Lancelot was not present in the childhood flashbacks with Arthur, has it not? Right. Could that be because he was a very, very, very old adult living elsewhere? That could be. So... (laughs) Except I don't know why they would reference his mother as though, yes, she's totally alive and not a former dark one and dead and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So her being a dark one, no, probably not. Probably not. But maybe connected in some way with... Oh, she's magical. The Aurora we know is the daughter of technically the real Aurora. So (laughs) who knows? Nimue, instead of being his mother, could be an ancestor. Yeah, possible. We don't know exactly everything that happened, but that does remind me of something else, a complete side note here. And I don't know if there's even a legitimate theory behind this, but what if Emma and Hook had a baby while they are both the dark ones? I mean, past tense? What if they have one? Well, I just, I don't see, where would that come from? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I said, there there is no, I think, legitimate theory of my own. Last that. I heard, that does not come as a result of severe hatred. <laughs> right. But what if it does happen at some point <laughs> and then we have Dark Baby? No. <laughs> That's like season 47 when everybody, well, I, no, that, they'd be really old by then. 
Yeah, no. Like I said, let's not even just, theorize just about it. Know. I just wanted to put that mm-hmm. out there nope. as something to think about. Thanks for that. <laughs> we'll be lucky if Zelina's baby isn't dark baby, all right? So Herc decides to go all leather as well. Very. Right. What fitting. was different about dark Hook's clothes and normal Hook's clothes? Not all that much. (laughs) Like I say, maybe he didn't transform at all because the darkness was like ready to transform him into dark hook. And it was like, eh, you're good. But it was all black leather. Oh. Which he's traditionally (laughs) worn more when he was a villain. He's got a a flare in his poofing smoke. It's red. Yeah. One of the things, though, that we see or Andrew are reminded of here when Emma comes up and starts talking with Hook is love conquers darkness. When they were talking, when they were expressing love, when they were living love, essentially, the dark one disappeared. The dark one that Emma could see very logically. Yeah. Hmm. Well, except it was basically she distracted him. Yes. Like he did for her. But they said what they need to do is go to the ones they love. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's only a distraction, but I think it is that love overpowers the darkness. And that's what's keeping Emma from being totally dark and falling into the control of the darkness like Hook is, is that Emma has recognized and is holding on to love. And what I found strange in this episode in most scenes, both past and present, is she mostly seemed like there was nothing different anymore. Just It was just Emma. Which, again, does she have that firm a grasp on the love in her life? Why, doesn't it, why is she not dark, apparently, at all? I think because she has grasped onto love. And maybe that explains why she didn't look reptilian in any way when she Good. transformed beyond her control. There are some unique things about her having to do with her position in Storybrooke as the savior, having to do with her light magic, I noted that she, of all, even though when Rumple transformed, he didn't appear at the vault, because I don't think there was a vault. But of all the people, all the dark ones we've seen, they've always been in a dark cloak, and she appeared in a light cloak, which is interesting. It's like the darkness couldn't get quite as much of a hold on her, which, to me, is the only thing that makes any of this really make any sense. Right. It also makes me think that she, since she is an ineffectual dark one, as (laughs) (laughs) dark one Rumple said, (laughs) it seems like maybe she could be the one that Merlin talked about that would be strong enough to wield all of this powerful magic and not give in to the darkness. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that idea, but she may be. Except for the bad decision that she makes at the end of the episode. She made a lot of bad decisions. Yeah, certainly. But with good intentions. But bad things happen (laughs) when you try and do that. Yeah. Merlin never came out and said, and by bad things, I mean my heart crushed. Literally. He probably should have said that. So Head Rumple suggests a dark curse. And then Hook sort of sums it up just by saying, Crush the heart of the one I love most to enact it? There's a lot more to that curse than that. (laughs) I just feel that it was too simply stated. But in the same moment, he's saying he won't kill Emma. But then Emma shows up and he's all, how could you blah, 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 blah. He needs to get a grip. It's hard for him. He's only got one hand. 
Maybe once the wall between the separate realms has been broken down by the dark curse, <laughs> then it's very easy to cast the curse from then on. You just always need the heart of the thing you love most. It's kind of like when your drain is plugged and you use maximum strength Drano, but after that, you can probably just get normal Drano. <laughs> or like once you get certain uh, sicknesses, then you're very susceptible to the same sickness later on. Mm. <laughs> Maybe it's that kind of thing. The wound between the realms has not healed yet. Yes. Well, yes. Whatever. <laughs> it's a, it, we'll call that a, a foreshadowing to deeper episodic issues to come. But Emma did say that she wants the house now, and he just has to want it too. I assume she means more than the house. She means their life together. Yeah. However, what's, I, we get what her plan was later, but what was the plan at this point for getting rid of the darkness from both of them without him dying. She probably didn't have that as a plan yet. Or does becoming a dark one heal him? And then if he can get rid of the darkness, Excalibur wound, go bye-bye. Stay bye-bye. I don't know. Yeah, that is, that is a, a challenge because he has this mortal wound just sitting there. Or is it completely gone? I'm going to assume that it's completely gone. I would assume it's not. If they were going to be consistent... It would have to not be gone because look at Rumple. When he became a regular man again, he still had the uh, limp. The limp yeah, was not completely true. gone. It was only gone yeah, while he was a dark one. That's true. But then again, now Hook has healed it. So, side point. <laughs> but it's all true. It's just, ah! <laughs> okay. At some point, the law of non-contradiction is going to have to take effect. The law of non-contradiction. It's a logic principle. Hmm. Going to have to take effect with us or with the show? With the show. Mm -hmm. When Emma summoned Hook with the sword, I thought this conversation that they have is all beautiful and everything. But because of what happened in the scene just prior to that, Emma's deception about having the sword in the first place, everything Hook says in the scene, as beautiful as it is that they're mm -hmm. talking to each other and yeah. all of that, it's all lies. Yes, it is. Which I, when I realized that, and this is where that piecing things together bit comes in. Because this was my second time seeing it. And I wrote down as they kiss and make up at the end, I wrote down, Emma talks Hook into loving her again. Because that's what it felt like had happened. I'm like, oh, this is a great relationship. He's like screaming at her, but not in just a, we're having a disagreement way. In like a, I don't know. He's just so completely irrational. And knowing what comes later, I think that I just see him as showing his true colors. Maybe it's the light being snuffed out, whatever that means. But so you thought it was beautiful. I thought it was bizarre. <laughs> uh, reasons being, first of all, he's screaming at her. Do you have any idea how it feels to not be in control? I'm like... Yeah, Regina did that same thing to her many more times, both purposely and not purposely, and Emma did not fly off the handle. She just did not freak out. And then, as she's sort of yelling back, when I'm scared, that's when my walls go up and things like that, I was just thinking, this is like therapy session talk. Like, <laughs> these are the things you're supposed to say in the writer's room as you're explaining to each other your thought behind why the character's doing what they're doing. These are not the things that are supposed to come out of their mouths. Don't just exposit your motivation to me. Act. Like, and that's not a slam on her acting at all. She was acting great. It was just the lines she was given were explaining her acting rather than just 
being natural to me. Yeah, I can see that. And it it happened a couple of times in this episode. I found it a little bit uh a little bit not really breaking the fourth wall, but <laughs> had me questioning whether they maybe had just come out of a therapy session or I okay. felt like they were about to start hitting each other with like inflatable bats or something. They do need couples therapy, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Wouldn't Oh, Dr. Archie Hopper, you're going to have quite your hands we, full with this couple. <laughs> Premarital counseling is going to be really difficult. I feel like you've just unlocked the final scene of Once Upon a Time, and it's everybody in a room with Dr. Hopper <laughs> or in the waiting room waiting to see him. There's going to be a lot of talking that needs to happen Yeah, when, before they can really have a mostly happily ever after. So with Emma believing Hook, they go back to, where else? Grannies. <laughs> where you go when you want to have the good times again. So they they meet up with everybody there, and they're kind of like, Emma's like, yeah, I'm fine. So I was like, are you sure? And Emma just says, it looks worse than it is, or worse than it feels or something. And I guess that was meant to say, oh yeah, you haven't actually seen me with my hair flocked like a Christmas tree and my... Oh, yeah leather clothes and things yeah that's true which hook never batted an eye at yeah now what happens here inside of granny's with merlin leaving the voicemail aligns perfectly with what happened in the episode the bear and the bow so perfectly we were talking before in initial reactions about well could we see grannies in the background of it mm-hmm. yes i went back to the episode the bear and the bow and rewatched mm-hmm. the voicemail scene and yes you can see the shelves in grannies behind that voicemail in fact <laughs> it's even more amazing than this oh i wish i obsessed <laughs> over this screenshot back then because Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> in the episode, The Bear and the Bow, Back which then. was episode six of this season, <laughs> Hook was in that shot. He was visible in the voicemail. Indeed. Yes, he was. <laughs> I showed Jeremy this and he agreed. And we'll have the screenshots in the show notes for this episode, oncepodcast.com slash 223. But the angles and mm-hmm. everything match up just right, uh, mostly. But... What you can see is in the voicemail, it displays for only half a second Mm -hmm. or so. But in the voicemail, when Merlin turns his head, there is a figure in the background. You see them coming in through a doorway. It's Hook. It is very clearly Hook. Flipping back and forth between the two, it looks like they just shot the scene and then cut it and put it in fog and things. To be the voicemail. Yeah. But you can see him. <laughs> yeah. So I really wish that I saw that way back then. Like and then silhouette. I could have said, wait, when Merlin said that, it was actually Hook coming in. Because look at that. That looks like Hook <laughs> in the background. The angle he is when he's walking in through the doorway. Since usually people don't open a left opening door with their right hands, but Hook would have to because his left hand is a hook. So he has to turn <laughs> sideways kind of as he's going through the door and his height and the hair silhouette and all of that, it's clearly Hook. Oh, I wish that we noticed that before. And then we could have said that that was our theory back then. But we were pretty close with you, Jeremy, saying 
when Merlin said dark one, he probably wasn't talking about Emma. Right. So you've got to see these screenshots. They'll be in the show notes at onespodcast.com slash 223. And I'll enhance them a little bit for you so you can see it even more clearly over there. He's going to copy and paste a production shot of Hook into the spot. (laughs) (laughs) But they did say that Merlin's heart is the oldest in all the realms. Superlative. Yeah. And that could be true. But I do have to wonder, well, what about Blue Fairy? She was called the original magic. See? Oh, my gosh. And even that, only we took their word for it at the time. Why can't they just be less certain? Like, say, one of the oldest or the greatest amount of darkness, not all the darkness, or whatever. Just be careful. Or maybe Blue Fairy doesn't have a heart. (laughs) Oh, gosh. What in the world? Some little tiny dark one fairy took her heart at some point. Or fairies don't have hearts at all. I don't know. That's awful. We've never seen a heart taken from a fairy. We've seen a fairy take a heart, as they do in Soviet Russia. Oh, goodness sakes. We have? Yeah. It was back in season three. Tinkerbell took Regina's, or held Regina's heart. Not took it, but held it. Oh, held it. Yes. Yes. She did not take it. It's a difference. <laughs> this whole loophole of Nimue being in Hook, Dark One Hook, mm-hmm. and that being that he could then crush the heart of the thing she loved most and that count for the curse. I'm okay with that loophole. I think that's a pretty clever way of piecing this all together. I think it can make sense, especially if you want to connect it with Christian theology, which is that original sin from Adam Mm -hmm. and Adam is in all of us or Adam's blood is in all of that us. Uh, If you want to learn more about that, just read (laughs) the book of Romans from the Bible. But um, so this idea that Nimue is the one crushing the heart enough that the curse is being cast then and working. I, mm-hmm. I think I'm okay with that. I'm only okay with it because she had the spark from Flame of Prometheus and they were able to get that from her already. They set the precedent in the same season, Yeah, but they did set it. I know an easier way to avoid the loophole. Don't cast a third dark curse, especially watered down, as I said before, to not create a town, not take people to a land without magic, not erase their memories and give them new identities. I'd seen it pointed out in some feedback we received that the curse would also have been responsible for the new town barrier, which is true. Um, It doesn't quite explain why it's trees, except, I guess, Merlin heart dust. Or something about Nimue. Because Nimue was the one who turned Merlin into a tree. And Nimue is essentially the one casting the curse. Right. So maybe that's her flavor in it. (laughs) But the whole memory forgetting thing, Mm -hmm. that's something that's added to the curse. Because remember, that wasn't going to happen when Snow and Charming cast the curse to bring everyone back. Yeah, but there again. At least when Snow and Charming did it, it still had weight. It was kind of silly to do it again, but Storybrooke didn't exist again. It had been taken away. Their curse created it again. 
it would have made far more sense to come up. I mean, just have Regina talk for two minutes and you've got a way to get grannies and everyone in it back to Storybrooke without casting this curse. I mean, yeah, just reversing what they did the first time would have done it. They had all the ingredients to do that. Now, this is the scene you really need to watch closely and listen to everything that's said because I think it then makes a lot more sense with everything else. I wish they reinforced some of the stuff that was said here a little bit more. But here's the thing. It was in this scene when Emma was talking to the dark one, the head dark one, Nimue, and (laughs) and dark one Hook is there and Merlin and all of that. It's in this scene where the idea is communicated of what all the dark ones want. It's not revenge. Mm -hmm. Emma knows. Hook doesn't. At this point, because Nimue looks at Emma and says the same thing all dark ones want. And she realizes, no. And she also recognizes that Hook is merely a pawn in all of this. The dark one inside him, the darkness is fueling that revenge that was tucked away, dealt with, whatever. It found it. It inflated it. It's fueling it as a means to an end, and that is get to Storybrooke so they can get Rumpel's blood and open the pond portal. That's what the Dark Ones want, is to come so they can snuff out the light. That's what darkness does. It snuffs out the light. And that was, in a way, communicated here. I mean, when you think of it that way, and remember, darkness wants to snuff out light, you can see that that is what was communicated here without actually being said. So that's the plan of all the Dark Ones. The plan that Emma just realized, that's what you're doing. Hook doesn't understand it yet because he hasn't been a Dark One long enough. He seemed to. No, he's still focused on revenge. And I think that's the darkness driving him in that. Well, okay, that might be contradiction number two. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, she says, you know what we want. You're a Dark One. You want it too. At which point, Emma seems to look inside or in her head or wherever, and that's when she realizes it. And then she says no, which immediately I'm like, well, okay, she doesn't want it. So, why again, not very dark one. She doesn't want it because she's being reasonable. She's controlling it. Do remember also Rumpel's speech when he was talking about the sword and the dagger when mm-hmm. Emma had those pieces together. He was saying, darkness wants to snuff out the light. And... Yes, Emma knows that, but why would Head Rumple call her ineffectual? Because she's decided she doesn't want to snuff out the light. And that's why she's an ineffectual dark one. Yes. In this scene, he also referred to himself in the past tense and the third person, saying Killian died when you transformed him into the dark one, which is the most displaced I think we've seen any dark one be or say they are well they've all maintained something of who they were peter pan killed rumple's father there's that aspect to consider darth vader killed luke's father well Spoiler. yes and nimue killed nimue <laughs> or whatever yeah but she doesn't speak of herself that way she's still her yeah that's true so i'm not sure how literal he was being so i was wrong about Everything in Storybrooke being a test for Emma. I was also wrong about Emma foreseeing any of this. The whole taking people's memories with the Dreamcatcher thing. That was that last minute idea 
of here's how I could fix this. But it's the dark one that planted this idea in Emma's mind for her to do this all by herself. Hmm. And that's why we're in the tricky situation in Storybrooke, because Emma has been trying to do this all by herself. That's why she kept asking people, trust me, I need you to trust me, please trust me, because she's doing it on her own. She has this plan, but it's a plan she only recently came up with, not a plan that she'd been mulling over for a while back in Camelot. Right. Now, there were a couple of things about this scene that felt sort of, oh, man, we took too many weeks to connect the dots. Let's wrap it up quick. And Hook just tells Excalibur to go back to whence it came. Like, all right, that's fine. I guess I can see that happening. But then Emma waves her hand. I might have mentioned this in the initial reaction. And everybody's sprawled out on the floor like we saw them when they appeared back in Storybrooke as though they'd fallen down or whatever. I would argue as though Grannies had been lifted into the air by a twister again and dropped back down. As though maybe that was the original plan for what was going to get them back to Storybrooke. And then they went, oh, how do we make this match the beginning of the season? Well, let's just poof them in and they'll just already be all over the floor. Back at the beginning of the season, they didn't land. They kind of vooped in. Remember? Well, we didn't really see. We did see a green flash, as I recall. Yeah. Inside of from inside grannies, we didn't see a tornado, but we also didn't see the purple smoke of a curse being cast like we did back in the episode Welcome to Storybrook when mm. Storybrook was created. But the twister was green, which is why I say I assumed it was a reversal of the original magic that took them there. It felt it just felt a little bit um, like it didn't dovetail real well. Mm. Little revisionist, even within this story arc, I could be wrong. Felt felt a little odd. And why'd they have to kill Merlin? <laughs> well, there's some feedback on that. <laughs> okay. B said, Merlin's death was obviously coming, but still, I'm annoyed that Merlin's dead. The actual circumstances I don't mind so much because Hook being horrible and lying and using and not caring who gets hurt in the process is the most entertaining he's been in ages. <laughs> Just wish the result of the plan hadn't been us losing Merlin so quickly like that. Right. And uh, an issue that it's an unintentional issue. And Mm -hmm. I know some people might think, what's the problem here? Other people are very uh, passionate and connected about this issue. It's an accident that some things in Once Upon a Time are coming across as slightly racial, Uh, like villains often being characters with dark skin or dark skin characters being killed or sent to Forgotten Character Island, like Merlin, mm-hmm. like Ursula, like Lancelot. Okay. <sighs> My so this is a, a big topic. I do want to talk about it a little bit. The sad and interesting thing that I find in this topic is that as a white male, I feel I'm not allowed an opinion <laughs> because I couldn't possibly understand or have the right perspective because of all my privilege. Well, okay. But I will tell you what my perspective is. And it's when Merlin died, I was sad that we were losing a good character and a good actor and someone that had managed to take what ended up being a relatively small role given the buildup and make it kind of as big as it was supposed to be. I was sad about all that. Wasn't thinking about his race. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we should be thinking about his race. Do they want to be good actors or do they want to be 
persons of color who are included in a show simply because of the color of their skin. Isn't that like somehow related to and the reverse of what everybody's trying to avoid? Do you want that kind of coddling because of the color of your skin or whatever? I mean, people have been saying the same thing about Guinevere and how her characters ended up being treated by a white man. Well, okay. She's just Guinevere to me. Like, she's cool. I, it, I don't think it has anything to do with race. I, it's definitely unintentional. Clearly it's unintentional. Why would they even do that <laughs> on purpose? And for me, it's just sad that we have to keep bringing up race. Why do we have to think about it so much? I know it's a hot button issue. And I know that it can be easy to find problems with anything. I am a born again Christian, very strong, uh, base my beliefs very strongly on the Bible. And when I watch entertainment, it can be very easy for me to pick out things and say, oh, they're being anti-Christian there. And Mm -hmm. certainly, yes, there are sometimes agendas that do things like that, uh, do things with um, racial things or other stuff. Yes, there certainly are agendas out there. But what I have to remind myself is I shouldn't be hunting for an agenda under every rock. Some of it is sometimes completely accidental. Some of it is just being consistent with mm-hmm. the producer's thinking. And, and that's something that I, as a Christian, have to see is that, yes, many producers are of a more atheist faith. Mm-hmm. And so their worldview is based on that. And that sure. worldview is contrary to my worldview. So there are going to be things that just come out of them <laughs> that is contrary to what I believe. Just like in this podcast, I know we've received some reviews uh, in iTunes, they have commented on this, but just like in this podcast, I leak Christianity. <laughs> Atheists leak atheism. Uh, you know, anyone leaks their worldview sure. and that comes out and stuff. And we can pick on that, but there are those other things where it's not intentional. Like when I mentioned Christian theology earlier, I'm not trying to shove it down your throat or anything like that. Right. I leak it. <laughs> uh, but there are those things that unintentional stuff that you put pieces together and could say, wait a minute, it looks like they're trying to do this or they're doing Mm -hmm. this thing. And sometimes let's give them a little grace because sometimes they work themselves into a position that they can't work themselves out of without completely messing up the story they want to tell. Right. And if, if you're wondering what we mean by that, just watch how many times a murderous evil character is the one on the show who quotes the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) in Hollywood. But yeah, and I'm not saying that there are no racial issues that have to be considered. I just think, and I could be totally wrong, but I think that if I were not white and I were an actor, I wouldn't want to be kept or shoehorned into a show simply because of the color of my skin. I'd want to be the perfect person for that part, and I would want my part to make sense. Mm -hmm. And I would want the continuation of my part to make sense And honestly, while we're on the topic of people on Forgotten Character Island who have been killed, don't forget that two of the three Queens of Darkness were white, and they are both dead or on Forgotten Character Island, as is... (laughs) What's her name's daughter? (laughs) Maleficent. Her daughter, I mean, maybe, maybe they actually hate men with beards. I mean, (laughs) and they've all been killed by women, by the way. Yeah, I, I think no <laughs> I mean, one... Graham was killed by a woman and uh, Neil sometimes had a beard killed by a woman. Who knows? Guinevere might kill Arthur. 
I know minorities want to be represented, but it can be difficult because there's a reason, let's be honest, there is a reason they're called minorities because they are a smaller number and it can be difficult to represent all minorities, whether that be of skin color, of nationality, of accent, of ideals, Mm -hmm. of whatever beliefs or anything that separates us from each other. It can be really hard to represent all of them in a show with so few actors that you're allowed to keep around for forever. So I think in general, what we have to do is just give more grace and let the writers tell the story they want to tell. And I have to remind myself of that many times too, because I, I think certain things about, and this comes out in the podcast. It's come out before many times before where I've said, I wanted to see this or why can't they do it this way? And sure. the writers do try to listen to the fans who want to see certain things in our forums, the two most popular threads in our forums are Captain Swan and Swanfire. The two ships opposing each other, or not, to, not totally opposing each other, but people want to see certain people with certain characters, but ultimately the storytellers need to be able to tell their stories. They can incorporate neat ideas, but it's their story to tell. And unfortunately, some toes get stepped on yeah. along the way. And I certainly don't mean to sound insensitive. I just want to be logical and reasonable about it. Yeah. I don't see any oppression happening here. Even Lancelot only appearing for a moment and being sent away has been brought up in many of the discussions I've seen about this topic. And as I said, I'm pretty sure it was just foreshadowing of another plot point, which could very well include his mother, who may well be a person of color. So I don't think that we need to take it too far. And at least we got to see him. There's plenty about this episode that I want to slam, so let's not uh let's not slam things that <laughs> yeah. And at least Merlin did get to be a good guy and Lancelot's a good guy. Right. I mean, if we're talking about character assassination, Arthur is supposed to represent many many good and virtuous things and look what they've done to him. Yeah. I mean, wow. <laughs> This white English person, they have completely destroyed that character, quite frankly. It's kind of sad if I think about it too long. And so clearly, they are an equal opportunity destroyer. Well, I I know we've dwelt on that a little (laughs) bit, and you're welcome to continue the conversation if you'd like to. But let's recognize that these uh, are storytellers, and sometimes stuff is unintentional. Let's try to let them tell their story and i have to tell my remind myself that same thing many times but at the same time also i'm glad that we have our listener community to bring up these issues yeah whether i think it's a big deal or not i'm glad that there's a place they can come and discuss it yeah certain things that we may not have thought about before and uh, may not have realized oh you know what you're communicating there my disagreement does not invalidate an opinion right but you know what validates this podcast <laughs> Our kind heroes who do not live on Forgotten Character Island, but support the podcast episode after episode. We could not do this without you. So for this episode, I want to thank our heroes, Lisa Slack, Amy Cadillier, and Tappenbird. Thank you very much for your kind support. We also have 33 heroes on Patreon supporting the podcast. A couple of them might be having some little account issues, so please double check your account and payment settings in Patreon in case uh, you haven't seen anything charged like it's supposed to. But 
We really appreciate your support. We could not do this podcast without you. There are expenses to the podcast. It takes a lot of time for us to do this, to run the server, to fix things on the website, to keep things updated and secure and all kinds of stuff like that and bring this content to you to purchase the episodes from iTunes so that we can get the high definition screenshots and be able to watch things in detail and share the awesome screenshots with you, like the screenshot that's in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 223. You've got to check that out. That kind of stuff is because of your support. And there are things that we'd still like to do with the podcast in ways that we'd like to grow it and things we wish we could do, but we can't without your support. So your continued support and additional support really would mean a lot to us. If you would like to be a hero to the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. You can sign up as a monthly contributor through Patreon where you can sign up to donate a dollar per month or maybe $5 or $10, 50 or 100 or whatever you feel the podcast is worth to you. And you can also go to oncepodcast.com slash hero to do your shopping through our Amazon link and that does help support the podcast. Several people have done that recently and I really appreciate that. It's great to see that being used. So go to oncepodcast.com slash hero to check out your options and thank you for your support. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. So now that we've seen the end, I think, of things in Camelot, and I know I've said (laughs) something like this in many ways before in past episodes, in the next episode, I think that it will give the writers permission to tell the story all within one realm. But that's probably not going to happen. There are still going to be flashbacks, but at least Mm -hmm. we know the conclusion to the events in Camelot. Right. Unless there's a parallel perspective like Lancelot. True. And there could be. uh, Because I think the main thing now that they're facing in Storybrooke will be what to do about Hook. And all of these new dark ones coming around. And maybe since, after all, the portal was in water, maybe the Lady of the Lake... Water! ...will have some influence (laughs) on that. Uh, Yeah, well, that's why I started theorizing so hard about how Nimue could still somehow be the Lady of the Lake because in the same episode where Lady of the Lake was mentioned, she kind of came out of a lake. Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning of this episode as it takes place in present day Storybrooke. It picks up right after the last episode where we saw Emma frozen with squid ink, mm. Jeremy's favorite. Because mm-hmm. she signed a contract with a quill. <laughs> Here, Hook took memories from Emma. Yeah, and the whole episode I was kind of like, well, she seems to know everything she knew before, so what could he yeah. possibly have taken? But now we know... He basically only took the memory of what he and the other Dark Ones apparently were planning. Yes. Which is very interesting because Emma, as she had to remind us because she wasn't acting like it, is still a Dark One. So how did she not have access to that knowledge? Because it only came to her at some point. Yeah. Just like for Hook, it didn't come to him until some point later. Because the darkness is a presence and is evil. And I wonder, and I'm just thinking of this now, if that's where they're going to go with this whole Emma can wield it all thing. They may try to say that it's Nimue in the power that is causing the darkness. She said she is in all dark ones. Yeah. So if they can get Nimue out of there, (laughs) 
they may decide it's just neutral power. It's fine. It can be light now, which would be better than simply saying, hey, it's darkness, but it's cool. I think that that also makes a little bit more sense why Hook is suddenly different, because now that he has all the memories back, that includes all the Dark One memories and all the memories about what's fueling this thirst for revenge, which is really his being a pawn for the darkness to bring all the dark ones back. That's why he suddenly changes and wants to hurt Emma. That's the darkness talking. And the darkness has now taken control because all of those memories of what converted him basically to the darkness are back. Yeah. (sighs) I still... uh... Because the t- the longest running example we've had of a dark one is Rumpelstiltskin. And because there was so much of him in there and his continued... He didn't decide Bay abandoned him. And he loved Belle. He tried to kill his grandson, but I don't think he loved him at that point. <laughs> and he he consistently chose power and himself over others which is really what he did when he became the Dark One anyway. So that was kind of already in him too. With Hook, we're supposed to have seen him reform. And now, as Regina put it, once a pirate, always a pirate. And it feels that this was just all too ready to come out. And I don't know if they'll try to figure it out or explain it. It does not seem that this level of hatred and revenge seeking should be brushed aside as, well, you were a Dark One. I think a lot of it is... The control from the darkness. And we'll get more into that later because if it does it is, come up later yeah, more. If it has actually taken him over and he's not even talking, that might be one thing. If he later says, I was in there and I couldn't do anything and I couldn't talk to you, that would be one thing. But we'll see. I, I think the darkness has found something inside him to latch onto, fuel, and use to control him. What's interesting is that now watching it... And discussing it in this order, I realize more fully that this whole time walking around town, Emma has had the knowledge of what would happen if Hook got his memory back and what the Dark Ones were trying to do. And that's why she was so set on Hook's not knowing that he was Mm. a Dark One. Yeah, because she didn't want him to hate her again. (laughs) See, and, and I still just feel that this Dark One conversion... I mean, he even said it feels like he's been reborn. Well, yeah, it looked pretty invasive. And I don't think taking memories should change the nature, even appearance-wise. And I think that's why they didn't give him an intrinsic Dark One appearance. Because if that's like the default, then let's say someone took Emma's memories and said, there, you won't remember you're a Dark One. She looks in the mirror and goes, what in the world is going on with my hair? And she'd figure it out pretty quickly, even if she couldn't feel it. And it seems to be something that's just innate. Yeah. So that's all I have to say about that. uh, And that's that's feedback that I've seen over and over and over. One of the biggest themes in the feedback that we've received in the posts and the forums is how in the world does erasing someone's memories make them not realize they're the dark one, especially if the transformation has been as complete as it is with Hook. It just... There's something off about it. I don't know that we'll get any more explanation. It just is what it is, but it's, uh, for me, and I was really enjoying the story arc, but as of some of the events in this episode, I may at some point put a season two style seal on it. I'm going to lock it in the dark one vault. 
<laughs> well, in the next scene, they do acknowledge that what Emma has basically been planning to do with Zelina premeditated murder. Yes, thank you for putting that very accurate label on it. Hmm. Premeditated murder. Because she knew that she would have to put all of the darkness into Zelina and then kill Zelina. But she also knows that given half a chance, Zelina would kill everyone in town. Yes. And has tried. There will be more to talk about on Zelina in a moment that might challenge that idea. At this point. Sheesh. Heroes don't kill. Heroes don't murder. So they're calling it murder. I don't. I think I agree. But at the same time, Zelina probably should have fallen in battle multiple times. Probably should have if it were, if they were being reasonable as I felt worse when David ran his sword through the guy that attacked Regina, (laughs) frankly, in Camelot. Mm -hmm. But they all, they didn't bat an eye at that. They considered that self-defense. And yet Zelina, the most wicked, they've kept alive and kept around and kept a threat. So a case could be made is all I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) Next, when Hook goes to Gold's shop, one of the interesting things we learned here is a whole Excalibur can't control the Dark Ones anymore. So they are essentially cleaved from the dagger, (laughs) but there is still something that can kill them. And that is Excalibur can kill them, even though it can't control them. But I thought Excalibur could cut away the power. Yeah. Excalibur cuts ties in multiple dimensions or multiple ties. But what was Merlin trying to do back in the day? Cut a tie with it. He was trying to cut the magic from himself because Merlin did say Excalibur was forged to cut multiple ties. Yeah. I just think that it should probably work the same way for Emma and for Hook. What were they going to do? What was Merlin going to do? And then Emma was reforging it into one blade. She only stopped because Hook started bleeding out from nowhere. Well, it was from somewhere, but it seemed like it was out of nowhere. And so once it was reunited, let's say Hook had never been cut by Excalibur. They reunite them. Then what? What were they going to do? Kill somebody? No, it was supposed to. Merlin wanted to cut away his own power, but Nimue got in the way. And then I assume Emma was going to cut away her power and her darkness. But they never defined what cut away means. And now suddenly she had to somehow transfer the darkness from both of them into Zelina and then kill Zelina. Here's what I think is originally when Merlin said he was going to cut the magic away from himself. I think he was able to do that because he wasn't a dark one. He didn't have that darkness in him. Okay. But that same power that was transferred into Hook that made him a dark one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Look back, though, at the episode when Emma first got to meet Merlin and asked him, can you separate the darkness? There was a look of some kind of hesitation from Merlin, almost as if he realized, well, to separate the darkness from the dark one and keep the person alive means I'm going to have to sacrifice my life. I think that's probably what he was intending to do. Sacrifice himself 
in order to be rid of the darkness once and for all. And in a sense, then he would be the mm. savior so for the savior. So you think maybe they were going to transfer it all into him and then kill him. Or he was going to transfer it into himself and then... Kill himself. Yeah, essentially kill himself. Fall on his sword, so yeah. to speak. Maybe. It's just strange that we're coming up with those theories instead of knowing exactly what the plan was. Right. Because of grandiose terms like cut away. Well, and we're still going to see them have to do it somehow, probably. Yeah. So maybe that will tie all these loose ends together. Maybe. I mean, they've got plenty of ones who are already dark and already dead to choose from now. So maybe they can use those. Yeah, maybe. So also, while in Gold's shop, Hook recites, in case we've forgotten, the many reasons he has to hate Rumple, which are valid, but I think most of us probably feel we've dealt with them by this point. Like they've kind of, I don't know if I would say they've necessarily made their peace. They still kind of have that animosity. He still calls them crocodile, things like that. But I thought they'd gotten past most of it. Also, one of the things he listed off was fulfilling Emma with darkness. Rumpelstiltskin was unconscious on the floor. I don't think he did that. I think he's referring to the whole thing of sending Emma off to kill Lily and turn over to the dark side. Oh. I think that was the whole filling her heart with darkness sort of thing because Rumpel was behind that and he was influencing that and that's what he wanted. That's true. That's true. And Rumpel and Hook, yeah, have not gotten along really at all. Rumpel keeps using Hook and abusing Hook and taking his heart or using him for all kinds of evil purposes, they'll never, I think, be fully mended in their relationship. (laughs) I thought it was funny when Hook imitated Rumpel, but it made me question, why did Rumpel act so strange, but Hook and Emma have not acted so strange? And maybe maybe it was the centuries of time as the Dark One, and he just got stranger and stranger but uh there was just something about rumple as the dark one that always felt more mythological Mm -hmm. i think it was because of his hundreds of years and maybe getting a little impatient with that or maybe (laughs) it was just the the things that he picked up you look at when he first became the dark one he was still very much rumple stiltskin regular human man rumple Mm -hmm. stiltskin but with all this dark one power but then later on he gets loopier and loopier. Oh, do you remember what he was doing for those hundreds of years? Building the dark curse and yeah. getting all that set into motion. Hook did it in a day. It was pretty good. Well, because once you've cut, it's very easy to make it bleed again. It's a very practiced recipe at this point. They knew exactly what they needed to do. <laughs> it's like friendship bread. <laughs> you just put it in a bag and then you add a few more ingredients to it. And, and then, then it can... billows out in purple smoke all yes. over town. Yes. And you... across all the realms. Exactly. <laughs> well, something that I know you're probably excited to hear is the result of our Once Upon a Time costume contest. And I have the winners listed. And I think these winners, you'll I'm pretty sure you all agree, they deserve these prizes. And so if you want to check this out, you can go to oncepodcast.com slash contest, or we'll have the pictures in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 223. But the winners for this, I do a drum roll. Third place is tied. Third place is tied. Yes. We have a tie for third place. <laughs> That's funny. Let me remind you the prizes. 
First place gets any season of Once Upon a Time in whatever delivery format works best for them. Second place gets a Once Upon a Time t-shirt. And third place gets a Once Upon a Time poster. So tied for third place is Evil Snow by Elizabeth (laughs) and Killian Jones by Bud Vanderkay. Congratulations, (laughs) Elizabeth and Bud, for winning. I'll get in touch with you on giving you those prizes. Second place, Cruella DeVille by Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Almost funny. (laughs) I, I, I wonder what his thinking was. Maybe it was, I'd like to look like Rumpel, but that's a lot of work, a lot of makeup. And I could make myself look like Cruella much more easily. And he did a great job with that. And first place by a long shot in the Once Upon a Time costume contest of 2015 is Robin Hood by Nicolette. <laughs> Congratulations. Definitely worthy of the prize. That is a uh, 37.13% of all of the votes came in for that one costume the rest of the votes were pretty spread out except for the second and third places were very clear winners there as well there were some uh, pretty good honorable mentions and uh, excellent work all around but congratulations to our winners especially congratulations to nicolette for your excellent robin hood costume i'll be in touch with the winners to ensure that they get their prizes so we come to a powwow at regina's and we discover that there are Dark One Chronicles, which I think has been mentioned before, but I couldn't find where that's been mentioned. Uh, I don't think it's ever been mentioned. Hmm. So. <laughs> it seemed familiar to me. Well, there might be a it. reason for that, but it's not because it's been mentioned in the show. Uh, uh, I, well, I do not recall it being mentioned, and it does seem awfully convenient. Yeah. Like maybe people probably should have been reading the Dark One Chronicles in the past. That's what Jacqueline pointed out, too. Why haven't we been using it all this time? I, I want I want to give a little uh, writing tip. If you're trying to make something make sense to the audience, please don't use the words, it makes sense. <laughs> it, um, in this case, Rumpel saying, it makes sense, revenge would be on his mind. Well, no, we've covered that pretty thoroughly. We, it's it's making more sense the longer we sit and stew in this episode and immerse ourselves in motives. But when you're just sitting there watching it and you've been watching the show for years, I don't think it makes that much sense that revenge would be on his mind anymore. So that's why, for me, the key to this whole thing is what you pointed out from what they've said in the past about that process of the darkness snuffing out the light And the only thing I can think is that it just didn't work on Emma. Yeah, because she doesn't have something like that that can fuel and be used. Well, she does, but she also has that most powerful lightness. You know, she couldn't even her Cora couldn't even take her heart. Yeah, there are some things intrinsically light about Emma that I think are playing a part. One of the things that could be the darkness taking control of Emma is Emma's um, sort of self-pity and and the stuff that drives her to be alone is maybe also what's driving her, powered by the darkness, to do things alone and go at this all by herself instead of getting help. Could be. I think it's also messing with her memory or maybe Hook just got little pieces of her memory that he didn't mean to. <laughs> 
I say this because as Henry was yelling at her about how they used to be a team, and she she sort of says, Operation Cobra, I remember. Like, you guys talked about Operation Cobra like two days ago. I'm not sure what happened there. Hmm. He also said she wouldn't keep things from him, but she would, and she does on a regular basis. So a theme throughout this episode was everyone just needs to calm down. Just calm down. Stop yelling. Just calm down. Calm down and learn about forgiveness. You're all kind of wrong in one way or another. So they decide to go their separate ways and do this stuff. And we get this. As nice, they do. <laughs> we get this nice conversation between Rumple and Belle. And I'm glad that they acknowledged that Rumple hasn't made up for everything and all of his past sins this by was a good simply standing up to Merida. Yeah, this was a good conversation to me. Mm-hmm. This was Rumple finally seeming to be the man they've been telling us he's become, acknowledging just reality. He's finally in touch with reality and who he is, and he's becoming a better person. And he doesn't have the darkness in him anymore. Right. And I wonder if that darkness is what has been driving him for so long that as many times as he's tried to do the right thing, mm-hmm. it was the darkness that kept driving him to hold on to the magic, to keep the dagger, to lie to Bell, all of that stuff. Now that he is completely rid of the darkness, there's nothing holding him back. Right. I did kind of wonder why they had to pick a meeting place instead of just, I mean, I thought they all had cell phones now. Even Violet had a cell phone. So he could have just called her like, if I survive, I'll call you. I'll text you. But no, they were going to meet at the well, which was much more poetic. I will admit it's yeah. where they were married. Yeah. <sighs> but we know what comes later. Zelina went to visit the baby in the hospital. And I think this is the first time that we've seen Nurse Ratchet and the Native American who is probably called Chief Bromden. Do you? From the the characters that they're based on is from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Maybe I really am colorblind because I didn't. You're just calling him a Native American man. I'm like, the dude with the long hair? Yeah. He's Native American? That's always sweeping and is mute. Okay. Or supposedly mute. But Zelina said he's very talkative. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I love that. <laughs> now, I know that maybe some people are disappointed with this, but I can appreciate that they labeled what Zelina did as vile deception. And that does nicely, I think, cover everything and label it very appropriately. They can't spend all the time that needs to be on addressing like how vile it was and all of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what she did was vile deception. They called it that in the show. And even though I don't know that it's always a family show, it does sometimes try to be. And I know there are kids that are watching and I just don't know that we necessarily want to draw children's minds to thinking about the details of what that situation is. Right. And it's, again, one of those things that a lot of people say it's this, some people say it's that, but it's so bizarre because so much magic is involved that it could not happen in real life. It's very, very difficult to draw an appropriate parallel between what happened there and anything in real life. And that's why I think it's very appropriate for them to call it vile deception. Yeah, I was I was glad to hear them say it. There are probably a couple other situations they could have described as strongly yeah. <laughs> or more strongly. 
in the past. Did you get the same feeling as I did that Zelina kind of wants to be rid of the insanity, but feels she can't? In that moment, I did. And Regina had her sort of epiphany. It was sort of like Regina suddenly realized it. And it's nice to see Regina not have only one mode towards Zelina, but it's a very odd relationship again because of the magic. Does Zelina have her cuff at this point? No. Because she doesn't. A little bit later, and let's talk about this, but when Zelina goes and visits the baby, Regina does point out, you don't have the cuff, but I don't either. Well, and she put the nurse to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so, and I guess the reason it's a strange relationship is because they seem to hate each other so much, and it just feels like one of them might kill the other at any moment. But this whole thing of taking Zelina to meet the baby, I thought that was really neat, and It's Regina giving Zelina a chance. And Regina and Robin have some hope that Zelina might turn around. And I like the way that they're handling this, that they're they're giving her an opportunity. I also like the way that they're handling this complicated family thing where are you going to steal the baby from its mother? No, but what they're acknowledging is that, yes, Zelina by blood is the baby's mother, They can't be a family like that, sure. Zelina isn't really fit to be the parent. Just That happens all the time in our world where there are people who have kids and they're really not fit to be parents. And so the state or county or whatever authority comes, takes the children away, puts the children in a home where they will be cared for properly. That's kind of what's happening here, except that in this case, Regina and Robin are extending grace to Zelina, and saying, you will be allowed to visit. And it looks like they even have a little bit of hope that this will help turn Zelina around. And it makes me wonder whether she will, and if this will actually work. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's super complicated. The responsibility of being a parent, the love for her child could give her something, give her a new perspective That could cause her to say, hmm, maybe being wicked isn't all there is in my life. Mm -hmm. Regina said Henry's unconditional love made her her best self. Looking back at the story, I don't think that's how I see it. Especially considering when we met them, he called her the evil queen and wanted nothing to do with her. He still loved her in one sense, I guess. But I think that it was her. It always felt more like it was her trying to be her best self, (laughs) for lack of a better term, because she loved Henry and because she wanted to be in his life and stop ruining everything (laughs) and stop ruining everyone's lives. But however that works, I think that you actually see a lot of people in real life who are one way and then they have children and it changes them because of both love more their love for their children, I think, than their children's love for them. I, I mean, I, I'm not a parent, but I think that's probably fair to say. Well, and when you say, this babies made me that way. You you're can't not... tell whether they love you or not. <laughs> you're loving them. <laughs> when you're saying this person made me that way, you're not actually saying they actively made you, formed you, caused you to be that way. It's, they, it's more like they inspired you to be that way. By their sure. making them making you that way it's you are changing 
because of being around them, but you're changing yourself. It's, it's, it comes up in conflict in marriage. Here's the thing. You know, I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm human. Jenny and I have had you conflicts are? before. Oh my gosh. And one of the things that, that we've learned is to not say, you made me feel this way. And it really, you break through in working through conflicts when you stop saying, you made me this way. No, it's not, you made me this way. It's when you did that, I felt this way. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think Regina is essentially saying. And that's what most people actually mean when they say they made me this way or they make me do this. Mm. But the words themselves do mean something different. So we need to change our language, essentially. <laughs> so Selena may turn around. We'll see. I'm just glad she didn't poof away with the baby. Yeah. <laughs> they did look like Regina had this look of, can we really do this? I Really, I don't think this is a good idea. But Zelina did seem to change a little bit when she actually held her baby in mm-hmm. her arms. Some people have pointed out that Regina's change, though, wasn't only because of Henry. It was also because of Snow and Charming and Emma and a lot right. of people, really. And as Wicked Regal said, Henry was the starting point and the ultimate necessity for Regina's redemption. But there were other factors. And... Nevermore said it took Regina many seasons and a show clearly focused on her character and to some extent on Henry for that to happen. We saw her and Henry's journey over four years doing the same thing to Zelina, but extra fast wouldn't be very realistic and would also cheapen Regina's character development. Perhaps I think what we might ultimately see is this changes Zelina enough that maybe Zelina decides to sacrifice herself yeah maybe could be depends on how long they want her on the show (laughs) otherwise what are you going to do with the character they brought up an interesting just side point just something to consider and muse over let's say regina had become the dark one given what we've seen of what happens to a person becoming the dark one and given how far regina's come what would you expect from her if she had become the dark one would she have just defaulted back to kill Snow White, take everyone's happiness? Or would she have been having a little bit more of a struggle, more than just a couple conversations with Rumpelstiltskin in her head? Look at what happened with the curse of Shattered Sight. It brought out the worst (laughs) in everyone. And a really great fight (laughs) with Snow and Regina. Yeah. So although it wasn't stuff that was actually... (laughs) powering their thinking at that time when mixed with a magical curse of some sort the bad took over even though it had been dealt with it was at one point in there and it was then driving them i think that's essentially what's happening here with hook too even though it's been dealt with the dark one curse took over and it's now driving him maybe we didn't really have anyone who had hurt regina in that moment but who she was supposed to love to see how she handled them. So let's step back a couple scenes with what else is going on during the same time. Yes, with Merida guarding Emma, who is on her back on a couch. That's not very Emma or very dark one to me. I didn't really understand. I guess she's just bored because they didn't let her come on their little quest thing. Well, and she does have the bracelet on. That's true. Preventing her from using magic. And maybe the squid ink is still wearing off a little bit. True. Okay, I'm sure. Uh, and 
so the arrow to the knee thing, was that a brave reference? Because everybody keeps making jokes about it. I don't think so. I probably should have looked that up before the show, but I didn't. So this was the big moment, though, when Hook comes in and says about every hurtful, devastating thing he could possibly ever think of to Emma, which to me, because, and and maybe my perspective is a little different now that we've discussed some of these things, but from, from my perspective, it's so inconsistent. It's either extremely inconsistent with Dark One mythology, or this is just, he's just, his changes have not gone that deep, and this is just kind of what's in his heart. Why are you doing this? Because I want to hurt you like you hurt me. I think something is fueling him that he can't control, and it is that darkness. And it's kind of ironic, too, that here he's mad at a lot of people for hurting Emma, for making Emma the dark one, for all this stuff. And yet here he is also wanting to hurt Emma. Yeah, I, is he still mad at other people for hurting Emma? I think so. Would he still not hurt Emma? Because he he's trying say, to hurt her, so would he not physically hurt her? Well, and uh, how does that make sense? Yeah. I think it's the, the dark ones inside are seeing their opportunity to finally snuff out the light, and they are in overdrive mode, controlling him to the most extreme situation here. Hmm. Well, unless they give me a darn good reason, Hook's back on my bad list. I hated him for a long time. I wasn't buying his integration into the good guy's cast. And then suddenly somewhere that changed. And I think he said and did some selfless things that changed my mind. But this, Mm -hmm. someone's going to have to really convince me that this was not just him under the Dark One curse. More vile than any... That came before him. Yeah. Sci-Fi Girl said, It does seem like Hook should have resisted more, but here's the thing. Emma is his anchor for good. She always has been. She was literally the only one he could hold onto to resist the dark influence. So once the dark energy planted some doubt about Emma in his head, even the tiniest bit, it took that away from him. I like it. I could see him at some reconciliation point, saying again that she's his anchor. Yeah. Wouldn't that be poetic? <laughs> you are my constant. There's no way to make pretty blonde distraction a compliment, but, you know. <laughs> Slurpee said, The darkness seems to be like a drug. It amplifies the dark side that already exists inside of the person. And I think Hook has always had an angry temper just below the surface waiting to come out. I think Hook has demonstrated a darker side to himself before becoming the dark one. For instance, in season four, as the fake cursed hand demonstrated that Hook had a lot of anger inside of him still, the hand was simply an excuse for Hook to give into his dark side. Exactly. His big, bad, hating everybody dark side that doesn't really love Emma. There I said it. (laughs) So Gold is finally doing something right When Emma comes and visits him, he finally locks up the magic. He did lock up that stupid squid ink, (laughs) which they promptly got back out. How does that stuff just... It's like a bottomless bottle. There's still some left. It's like friendship bread. (laughs) Well, it's going in the safe, but not for long. 
It's like friendship bread. This was sort of the first scene where Emma seemed like Dark Swan Emma again, which I found slightly confusing. But there again, maybe the ink was wearing off. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it's because she's back to her scheming, conniving part. (laughs) Scheming and conniving for good, though, which I guess she always has been. But she goes and visits Henry. And were you also disappointed with the name Operation Cobra Part 2? I was, but I feel that this probably should have been the episode title. Because to me, it just, it kind of represented a lot of the way certain things were written in this episode. (laughs) Everyone, I think, would have been then looking for Part 1. That's true. (laughs) Part 1 is the rest of the series. And then here's part two, which contradicts so much of what you've already known in some very strange ways. Gold and Hook get their duel. And this time, it's nice to see Gold being courageous and standing up for, well, this time really defending himself. It's not so much standing up to defend his wife. Yeah. Did I mention that this episode made me hate Hook again? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's very much going back to that old profane sort of self. Yep. I'll say it again. Soiled? Did we have to go there? Just why? He's rubbing no. it in. That's really what he's doing. Is he's rubbing it in, uh, twisting the knife, whatever metaphor you want to use. But in initial reactions, we did have a little bit of a question about this. And rewatching it, it's clear now. Yes, Rumple was cut by Hook's hook, not by Excalibur. Good thing for Robert Carlyle fans everywhere. Yeah. Which includes me. Uh, but when Hook disappeared why did he not take excalibur that was strange to me well for one thing it was sort of a thing of honor that he said if you can win you get excalibur or you have to take it from me oh he did say that yeah but excalibur also can't control him anymore we know how much hook values honor (laughs) it can't control him but it can kill him yeah but now there are a lot of other dark ones coming Hook really got what he needed to, and maybe, in this case, the sword was the pawn, even though uh, Hook was also being a pawn himself. The Dark Ones essentially decided we're willing to sacrifice the sword in order to get Rumpel's blood so that we could open the pond portal. It's a good thing he never accidentally bled into that pond while they were just like on a family walk. (laughs) But now the good guys have the sword. Good guys have the sword. (laughs) It's a... That's always what you want. They do. I don't know that they really know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that sword? Do you cut down all the dark ones? Something like that. Where do you think the dark ones will go first, grannies? (laughs) They'll just all order grilled cheese or lasagna. (laughs) When they go to get the dream catchers, squid ink. Yeah, which must have done its thing from inside the locked safe. How does Henry get him started? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, (laughs) this really does work. (laughs) Does does uh, does Henry know the combination to the safe from hanging around Rumples while he was doing Operation Mongoose? Probably, which was a very silly name, but was still better than Operation Cobra Part Two because apparently he's just an expert safe cracker. Because that stupid squid ink can't stay in the safe for even an hour. And they've got it back out. And now it can take off the magic cuff. Okay, I figured out how that can make sense. Okay. Think of it this way. Squid ink traps magic. Traps magic. 
So if you put squid ink on the cuff, it traps the magic of the cuff, which, yes, is an anti-magic cuff, basically. But it traps the magic (laughs) of the cuff itself so that the cuff can be removed without uh, causing magic or anything like that. Interesting. I also... What am I forgetting? Because I thought the cuff could be removed by anybody but the wearer. Well, we saw Hook remove the cuff with a magical hook. This year, they needed magic to remove it. I didn't think they did last year. Right. Uh, The person (laughs) who's wearing it could not remove it. Right. Regina couldn't remove it. Rumpel couldn't remove it. Basically meaning I thought, like, Henry could take it off without magic. But apparently not. Uh, Zelina was able to remove it by cutting her (laughs) arm off. Until she had her wrist enchanted. Uh, Pan could remove it, but then again, Pan created it. Thoughts? Yes. Did Zelina make sure that Emma couldn't cut her wrist off? Did Emma try? (laughs) Could Emma regrow her hand if she cut it off? Emma probably doesn't have that idea yet because she wasn't there to see it. True. I mean, it does take a Zelina brain to think... I'll just chop off my hand and regrow it. It's fine. Selena or the doctor? Well, speaking of chopping things off, how about we chop off a piece of our hearts for oh, Rum Bell? Because what happens <laughs> with gold in the bell at the well? <laughs> oh, a lot of people probably crying over that. <sighs> bell does love gold. That's something that was very clearly stated. But essentially, she's saying she needs some space. She needs to work some things out. There's too much broken trust, too much pain. I can understand and appreciate that to an extent. So Belle, we found out in this episode, is actually an android run by a consciousness on an internet-connected server elsewhere in the world. This server has a very slow connection. I'm not sure why this was the best analogy that came to my mind, but just let's go with it. This is a delayed response. She has internet lag. This is the conversation she should have had with Rumpel before they got married. Because at that time, she really needed to get away from him and stop trying to repair him. But now? Now he's fixed and she didn't even have to do it. Yeah. Like he's finally... They made all these points, but she's still... I get needing space and time because she's been hurt. That's actually understandable i I don't know they i felt like they just pushed it a little too far just even some part of me will always love you and saying that she's not sure she wants to make it work i mean yeah that's probably all true but it just seems strange and ill-timed and and again unrelatable to real life because he was the dark one and now he's not well kyra thinks that this was the best timing really hmm now, I think that ultimately, Belle will come back to gold, and they will work things out. Maybe. I think so, too. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was just very, after all this time, I mean, <laughs> he said himself that wanting him to not die and loving him are two different things, and she did say she loves him, but I don't know, the way she carted that rose in the glass around and dropped her plate at granny's when she realized he was waking up and i don't know and then when he's awake and he is the man she's always wanted him to be she's like huh well like rumple pointed out not wanting him to die isn't the same as wanting to be with him i know 
Keb said, I firmly believe that Rumpel and Bell needed to take things slowly after everything that's changed in their relationship. Bell's declaration, however, felt very out of character to me, and I'm rather convinced that someone was doing shenanigans with her. <laughs> B said, I'm completely fine with it. Used to like Rumbell together, but then they lost me, and if they'd gone with a quick fix, they'd have never won me back over. Rumpel being truly repentant and Bell taking time to figure herself out, allowing time for Rumpel to really figure out who he is now as well, is the best way to handle the messed up situation they'd written themselves into, in my opinion. Thank you for the feedback. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I don't know that my opinion on it is very strong. I just think that it's been mixed signals. She's been hot and cold. She hasn't been, she was hesitant early on. When he first sort of came back before the darkness came out of him, when his heart was turning black, she was given the I need space and time vibe for good reason. But since then, since she's been waiting for him to wake up, she's given no indication that she still needs time. And so it did feel at this point like it was out of left field. Actually, no. When rumple came up mm-hmm. from the elevator in the library. Oh, that's right. He was being all like, you saved me. Love, 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 love. And she's just like, let me go get something. That's right. And I said the same thing then too, I guess. Just because she was flipping out over the fact that he was waking up. Yeah. I don't know. It was it's just odd. Weird little oddities. They're not treating Belle very well, but there may be extenuating circumstances with Emily Durevin that might be dictating some of that. When Emma returned the memories, did you notice that Robin held his side? That's where he was wounded, fatally wounded. Yeah. Before magic saved him. And so he was remembering that wound. Nice little detail there. He, since he remembered it, I think he should have just bled out right there. <laughs> I mean, it's just the lack of memory that's saving him, right? Oh. I mean, what? So what Emma remembered now that she's saying, I, re- I know what they're doing. She's not talking about they as in Hook and Zelina. Right. She's talking about they as in all of the dark ones, what right. they are doing, all of the dark ones have been manipulating things behind the scenes, essentially, to try to get to this point mm-hmm. to snuff out the light. It's it's going to be like the final battle. Oh, goodness sakes. <laughs> it's final kind of superlative. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had a sound clip of myself, if I may have kind of an arrogant moment. I'm not sure why I took on that accent. So we have one episode left in this half of the season mm-hmm. and we don't have a whole lot more idea what snuff out the light means than we did when the season started. We have a little bit, but we don't know, is this going to be on a person by person basis? Is this going to be their death? Is it going to be their transformation? Is it going to be all light everywhere? Is it going to be the light in Storybrooke? Is it the time of the dark ones and they're going to try to rule the earth or just Storybrooke? What are they going to do? Are they just going to try to become the ultimate dark one by taking all the light out of the dark one's life? We still don't know. We just know that it's kind of different than the vague thing it sounded like at the beginning of the season. We don't know what the stakes are going into the final episode of this half of the season. Still, other than there are a bunch of creepers from the underworld about to go to Granny's and freak everybody out over their hot chocolate. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, the, the dark ones now here, not the hot chocolate. <laughs> B 
But Nimue is here now. Yeah, and by the way, she walked on water, which was just awkward. Yeah. So when Merlin said, find Nimue, Mm -hmm. I wonder if he foresaw this. Yeah, but he shouldn't have said, like, when he realized, when he said, the Dark One's already found me, he should have been like, oh, and by the way, Nimue is totally bad news. Don't think she's an ally. Like, (laughs) really find Nimue? She can help? Bad message. Merlin, someone should crush your heart. Just kidding. I think she might be able to help because she's the first Dark One, and she might be able to somehow stop all of this. Help is too strong a word. Helps definitely too strong a word. The big problem I have... Kind of like Zelina was going to help Emma destroy the darkness. (laughs) (laughs) The big problem I have with uh, all of these dark ones coming back, besides the fact that they're breaking a core rule that you can't bring someone back from the dead, uh, I guess they've never referred to dead (laughs) here. Well, except for Rumpel. So I take that back. But they've been talking a lot about the underworld, as if that's just where you go when it looks like you die, but you're just going to a different world. And so it's very easy to come back from that. But yes, so they're breaking that rule, really. But what I have a bigger problem with here is that all of these dark ones Mm -hmm. are still dark ones in the flesh now. Because what happens when you kill a dark one? The darkness transfers to the new host. Yes. We saw when Rumpelstiltskin killed Zoso. Zoso stopped being the dark one mm-hmm. and then died. Yeah. So all of these Back new dark when ones. The dark one mythology was intact. And that's been really the crux of the whole issue I've had partially with this season and really getting down to things with this episode. It's like... Now the curse mythology is kind of watered down and the dark one mythology is all screwed up and I'm just kind of sad. ABC, I know you're listening. So whichever, <laughs> if you have inf- any influence in this, here's what you need to do. <laughs> Hire Jacqueline. She's our forum moderator. <laughs> it's okay. Matthew Paul can take over for her responsibilities or we can get some other form moderator. But hire Jacqueline and run every story by her. I mean, she is much more of an, ex- an encyclopedia of Once Upon a Time mythology than I am. And what I was thinking about this in the shower the other day, what TV shows <laughs> should really do. It's where the best is, thinking is done. <laughs> what TV shows should really do is during their first season, mm-hmm. find someone who is an extremely passionate fan that knows the show really well. Yes. <laughs> find the nerd. Find the nerd. Hire them. You just call Jacqueline. <laughs> Hire the nerd. This is going to be a t-shirt, I'm sure. (laughs) Hire the nerd and then run all your stories by that person because they can help you ensure that your mythology stays right and that things make sense to what you've set up before. They can help you ensure continuity. I know places have continuity experts, but the thing is, unless the continuity person is a passionate fan of the show, they may not catch as much as someone who's simply hired to look out for that kind of stuff. I know there are people who that's their profession, but they still miss things <laughs> or maybe they don't have a continuity expert. I know other TV shows I've watched. I have heard they had continuity experts who it mm-hmm. was their sole job to make sure they kept the continuity. But if you need someone ABC in with however many episodes there are left once upon a time, if you want someone to run it by, <laughs> I can put you in touch with Jacqueline. Just email us. Contact information on the website, oncepodcast.com. 
<laughs> I know you're listening. Listen to her. <laughs> to explain away this idea, though, that all the dark ones are coming back and dead isn't necessarily dead. <laughs> Repapery, I believe I'm pronouncing the name correctly, suggested this. <laughs> Maybe since all the former Dark Ones live inside the current Dark One's head, they can't fully die before the darkness is destroyed. Similar to Voldemort and the Horcruxes, as long as there is a piece of him somewhere, he can't die. That can make sense to me. It can make sense to me too. Except, I don't know. It's so bananas. They've not explained their position on what the underworld might be. Unfortunately, I think that may still happen in the future. Because, <laughs> frankly, I'd like to just seal that thing back up and pretend that didn't happen. But it did happen. And actually, I'm a little excited to see the creepiness that is all the dark ones roaming around town after they've had their waffles. <laughs> Well, I don't I don't know what is I do I I hope it's not cheesy like just a lot of blank faces with glowing eyes. Well, I think Repapery's theory here does give an idea to an in game to this is they destroy the darkness and all of these dark ones running around wreaking havoc all die or disappear or whatever mm-hmm. or immobilized or something like that. But it's it, it's kind of like you kill the mothership and then all of the others fail. It is it is really strange that she would say in the flesh because presumably all of their bodies stayed where they died and were buried and Don't rotted and stuff. Hard. Well, if they're going to act like it's just a world with a portal, those bodies didn't go there. So how are they back in the flesh? It's just strange. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, Nimue, again, was very well cast. I think she's really compelling to watch this sudden recurrence of her repeatedly could have been really really annoying if she were not done better but thankfully they're killing it with her so it's not irritating to suddenly have why is nimue in every episode all of a sudden yeah jessica altman suggested this I'm betting on some massive battle between good and evil where the end result is all of the Dark Ones are destroyed, thereby destroying the darkness forever. Sounds like a final battle, doesn't it? Maybe Emma will have to call on all the good magic characters like Elsa and the Blue Fairy for the epic battle. And then just when you least expect it, Zelina will stroll on in and help the good side. Mm -hmm. That could be. Well, especially because if they're threatening the town, suddenly she has a reason to care. Yeah. It's true. Because she's a mother now. All they need to do is just threaten her baby. Do you think Arthur will help since Storybrooke's the new Camelot? Oh, wait. That never became a thing. Wait, what happened to that? Still, it could still. Do you think the Camelot stuff is going to extend beyond the winter break? I don't know. Because I wouldn't Probably have thought not. so. And yet that whole menacing thing never got brought up again. Well, the dark curse swept over and <laughs> brought everyone here. Well, I and... mean how he said... Storybrooke would become the new yeah. Camelot. And I think when when he has his memories returned, which might happen, maybe. I don't know if they would return his, but <laughs> if they do return his memories. But I can give you your memories back. Maybe he'll decide, oh, that's what kind of horrible thing I unleashed in Camelot. I'm sorry. I take back what I said about turning this into the new Camelot. Maybe. Hmm. Because realize everything he's been doing in Storybrooke 
has been his interpretation of what he thinks happened back in Camelot. Now, presumably when he gets his memories back, if he does, uh, then he'll recognize, oh, that's what happened. I need to put Camelot aside for once in my life Hmm. and help the good guys with this other thing. I don't know. We've got a lot of loose ends. So maybe they're not all intended to be wrapped up next week. We've got Merida somewhere, I guess, still wanting revenge on Arthur, especially when she gets her memory back. Maybe. So who knows? Theories. Thoughts. One thing I wanted to point out, uh, speaking again back to when the dark curse was cast and we got to see it from all of the different perspectives, we saw something that harkens back to season one and a very iconic scene throughout Once Upon a Time was Emma holding her fallen love in her lap as the dark curse swept over her. Just like we've seen that similar thing in many different places. Not always when the Dark Curse, but the original Dark Curse. Yes, it was Snow holding Prince Charming. But we've seen that same kind of scene repeated in different ways and Mm. and with different situations. And then before they all woke up, she poofed to the door and said, I'm going to punish all of you for some reason. Yeah, it was all Trust me. Trust me. I'm going to punish you. Trust me. Strange. That is what happened. Meredith sent in this feedback saying, as for Hook going off the rails, we saw in season two how much he hated Rumple, whom he barely knew. But I'm beginning to understand that it wasn't really Rumple he hated. It was the curse he was afflicted with. Being the Dark One allowed him to live immortally in the Enchanted Forest. If Rumple had killed Mila as an ordinary person and gotten away with it, do you think Hook would have had such a fixation on him? Yeah. It's just at a certain point, he would have been like, hmm, he's died of old age by now. Don't really need to do anything about that. I don't know. I mean, I think Hook would always hate whoever killed Mila. Well, and the whole way that Rumpel was able to kill Mila was his being the dark one. Right. Pulling the heart, crushing it, all of that. Yeah. Hmm. Which, you know, speaking of that, we thought that was the first heart crush. Oh, it wasn't. But it wasn't. Nemoe. Yeah. Pulled the heart I'm telling you and crushed it nimue is she's the dark one yeah uh i think there is a component of that though hook is now like the heart of the thing that was what he hated is him now so there is that element to it whether he would have become so obsessed or not apart from rumple being the dark one that's still part of this whole thing Well, here's another theory from Ariana Miller that might suggest uh, a great explanation to this, I think. She said, in the episode The Price, Hook goes on to ask Belle why True Love's kiss didn't work on Rumpel, and she responds that it did the first time. But then she says, he pulled away from me, and in that moment, the darkness forever regained its grip on him. I think that True Love's kiss was working for Hook in a general sense, but stopped when he felt betrayed by Emma and pulled back from her. The love he had for her was keeping Killian awake and the Dark One dormant. In Siege Perilous, Emma asks Hook if he loves her, and he says he loved her. It was clear that Hook still cared deeply for Emma and continued to do so, leading up to the events in birth, but we see him becoming increasingly testy and temperamental. When he remembered what Emma had done, his love for her grew cold and the Dark One awoke. 
Even though Emma said she could make Hook forget that he was the Dark One, perhaps it wasn't exactly his memory of being the Dark One, but instead his memory of Emma making him the Dark One against his wishes and then lying to him and trying to control him with Excalibur that changed him. Those events turned his heart cold toward Emma, as even after he rose from the vault, he was initially willing to trust her and try to move forward with trying to rid themselves of the darkness. Yeah, I think so. I think he let the darkness forever regain its grip on him. Mm. I don't think he's going to be able to defeat it. It's, it's going to have to be cut from him in some way. <laughs> well, this concludes our discussion, our long discussion, about this episode, <laughs> Broken Heart. Thanks for bearing with us and sticking through all the way to the end. We really appreciate it. We do still have some spoilers coming up as well after the uh, end of the podcast and the music and everything. But I want to thank some people who left some kind reviews for us in iTunes. Once Island from the United States of America had a mixed review, but I do appreciate the honesty. We appreciate every review. We appreciate honest reviews. And a positive thing that they did say is I love their in-depth reviews of Once Upon a Time. Cajun Equestrian from the United States said, love listening to y'all's podcast. Each episode goes so in-depth and most of the time y'all's predictions Mm -hmm. are so spot on. It's scary. But as long as y'all keep popping out episodes, I'll keep listening. Popping out episodes. (laughs) And Red Leather Jacket from Canada said, (laughs) I've been a big fan of Once Upon a Time since the conception of the show, and it was only last month that I found this podcast. How have I not heard of this podcast until now? I have to say, downloading this podcast was one of the best things I ever did this year. I just love listening to these guys talk about the show, all the in-depth discussions, and theories have made me pay closer attention to the show than ever before. It's always a lot of fun, and I recommend any fan of Once Upon a Time to listen. Thank you guys so much for doing this podcast. You guys are awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you, you. are awesome for sharing those kind reviews. It took a long time to find you, but we will always find you. <laughs> yes. If you would like to find us and write a review for us, then please click on the iTunes or Stitcher buttons on the website at oncepodcast.com. But really, the best thing you can do to support us and help us out, besides donating and stuff, that is good too. But the best thing you can do is tell someone else about the podcast. Like Red Leather Jacket from Canada didn't discover the podcast until recently. And look at how it changed their life. So... (laughs) change someone else's life for the better by introducing them to one's podcast and an easy way that you can do that is go to the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 223 to share this episode out with your family and friends on facebook on twitter google plus pinterest reddit all kinds of places like that and much more and we would love for you to do that. Also, send us your feedback on upcoming episodes of Once Upon a Time, and our feedback information is on the website at oncepodcast.com and in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 223. You can follow us on Twitter at oncepodcast, and I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon, that's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. And our fellow co-host who couldn't be here for this evening, Aaron, is on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers who help us in many ways week after week, episode after episode. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb managing our timeline, and my fellow co-hosts, 
Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline doing this podcast with me. And until next time, remember, once you go green, you'll never go queen. And thanks for listening. One's Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be one of them and keep the podcast going, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hey, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. We've got our season five, episode 11, the winter finale, and it's called Swan Song. And it's written by Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. And that's all we have. (laughs) We've been waiting, everyone, for this, for ABC to put out everything, and they just haven't. Yeah, it's it's about 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right now, and Hunter and I have been delaying podcasting for about two hours because we're trying to get the spoilers and nothing so far. So nothing. We're going to have we, to try and do this without it. But we do have some stuff that we can share with you because we were actually been gifted lots of things while we've been waiting. Right. Just not the stuff we actually wanted. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so we do know a couple guest stars. Yes. We have two of them. The first one is Oliver Bell, who will be playing Young Hook. Uh huh. Um, he's a very, he's a really cute little kid. Yeah. He's busy. Have you seen his filmography yet? I've seen it, yeah. He's definitely working hard as a young actor. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, I'll just do it now instead of later, but um, he's been on Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Sidekick, Some Kind of Beautiful, Salem, and he's currently filming two TV shows, Westworld and The Magicians. Yeah. And that's not even all of it. He's just a busy kid. Right. And then so. the other guest star that we do know of is Adam Crosdale, who will be playing Papa Hook. Yes, yes. And we did get to see a photo. There was a photo of him in his puffy pirate shirt. Yes, it's a dirty puffy pirate shirt. It is a dirty puffy pirate shirt. <laughs> if you've ever seen the episode of Seinfeld where they actually have a puffy pirate <laughs> shirt, it looks exactly like yes. that one. <laughs> yes, it does. Except maybe the cuffs. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little different. These are a little bit more authentic, I think. But as far as uh, the press release, that's all we have because ABC hasn't released it yet. Right. So we're hoping, we're keeping our fingers sprayed that while we're recording, something comes through. Yeah. We'll stop everything and read it to you guys if it happens. Yes. But we did get a promo. We got got two promos. We did. Canada was actually on point this week and got us a promo. Yes. Um, So for the U.S. promo, Hook, of course, is still the Dark One and is being very evil. And we see a lot of the Dark Ones from the past walking the streets of Storybrooke. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Robin is shooting arrows at them because I'm sure an arrow will stop Dark Ones. That are ghosts. Right. (laughs) That aren't even alive. So an arrow is definitely going to work. Obviously, Hook has some larger plan for revenge, and Rumpel believes that this is a fight they cannot win. And then we do see a moment with Emma, and she promises to protect her family, even if she has to kill Hook. Right. And that's going to be hard, because she loves him. And then we got a Canadian promo. Yay! Which 
It never happens lately, but we got one this time. Yes, two weeks in a row. Yeah. So we have Nimaway, who is back for this episode. Oh, so that would be another guest star that we do know of, Nimaway. Right. And she is egging on Captain Hook, telling him he knows what he needs to do. It looks like there's a standoff in the streets of Storybrooke, and we did have photos from when they were shooting that episode. We saw a lot of people in Storybrooke kind of walking up and down Main Street. It does look kind of weird, because you've got, like, the Storybrooke people, like, Robin Hood and Regina and Prince Charming and Mary Market and all them, and then all of the Dark Ones are, like, surrounding them. Yeah. And it's really weird. Like, they're on both sides of them, and then people attack. And Emma says, you are not taking the people that she loves and most, and then some magic is choking her. It looks like someone's doing the Darth Vader chokehold on her. Yes. So it looks like an interesting episode. Yeah, and if you remember back to when they were filming this episode, um, we saw Emma in her dark swan outfit, but then we do also see her back in her normal, everyday Emma Swan outfit. Right. So I am suspecting that this is going to be the big moment for Emma when she breaks her own dark curse or when it's broken for her, something like that. And speaking of guest stars, if I remember correctly from when we were looking at photos of that, Merida will be back, as well as Arthur and Guinevere. So we know those people are here. Right. Um, We did get a sneak peek. Like I said, we we were very lucky while we've been waiting. Yes, we got a sneak peek. We just didn't get a press release. (laughs) But um, it's pretty much Hook and Mr. Gold talking in the woods. Mr. Gold has somehow gotten Excalibur. And he doesn't think that Hook has done much of anything while doing being the Dark One. He's just done, like, parlor tricks and stuff. And then Hook threatens um, with what is about to come. And that part, little part we saw during the promo. Yes. It's very snippy. There's still the pirate and the crocodile snipping at each other. There's, you know, Hook uses his magic again, and it's the red smoke. Yes. So... And we did get a script tease. And Yay. we know how much you guys love our script teases. <laughs> yeah. Our reenactments. This one's between Regina and Emma. So who, would you like to be Regina? I'll, I'll be Regina. Okay. <clears throat> I don't like where this is going. Regina, I need you to keep that promise now. And I need you to swear you won't tell anyone. Dud, dud, dud. I think that the promise is an allusion back to episode 501 when Emma got Regina to promise that if Emma went super dark or anything, Regina would use the dagger against Emma. But the dagger's part of Excalibur now. I know, but could it still kill the dark one? I believe it could, but I don't know how that'll work. I don't either, and I'm not entirely sure that we would want Regina to be the dark one. I mean, it's kind of a bad plan. Yeah, because she is such an evil person, technically. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she's come a long way, but I'm not sure we'd want her to take on darkness again. So we do have some other things that are relevant to this week's episode. Colin O'Donohue did give a little bit of an interview talking about this episode, um, especially on his backstory and the arrival of his father, because we do know that this is the week when we are finally going to meet Papa Hook. 
Yay. And Colin O'Donoghue says, I was excited to get to explore that, the arrival of Hook's father, because we talked about Hook's father and he was cagey about it, so we get to see what really happened in that backstory. It is linked with Regina, which is all I can really say about that. It's a fascinating insight into Hook was back when he was Captain Hook and not Killian Jones. You get to see a real insight into how he became that ruthless pirate and the person who really didn't care about anything except his revenge. Kind of interesting. I want to know how Regina fits in. Um, I want to know how much this is going to screw up the timeline. <laughs> well, yeah, because uh, like, isn't Captain Huck like 300 years old? Well, yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely old because he's been in he was in Neverland for so long. But when he and Regina met back before, right before the Dark Curse was originally cast, it was clear that they hadn't met before. And then she sent him to Wonderland to get Cora's heart. And then he, you know, didn't. And I mean, it was this very, very brief window of time. So I don't know when they could have had this adventure together. I don't know why Regina would be connected with Papa Hook since Papa Hook died a long time ago. Right. Unless he didn't. And that's the only thing I can think of. Because if you look at that photo, it's Killian Jones like nowadays. And his father looks awfully young. Yes. And one of the big theories going around right now is that Papa Jones sold his soul to Hades and is actually alive in the underworld, um, sort of living out his imprisonment or his debt to Hades. And so we'll learn that Papa Jones is really alive or something. And that's the only like thing I can think of is that Regina met Hook's father before the curse. Yeah. Because nothing else that would make her like 300 years old too. And that just doesn't work. Right. Right. (laughs) That just doesn't work at all. But yeah, it's going to be weird. I want to know how Regina is involved. It's probably because watch Papa Hook be evil and she's evil and that's how they know each other. I don't know. Or Regina did something with Hades and met up there. I'm not going to be at all surprised if Regina knew Hades from something. If she ran into Papa Hook, if Papa Hook is maybe like running errands for Hades or something, maybe... In the Disney movie, Hades has those two servants, Pain and Panic. Maybe Papa Hook fills in for them or something. I don't know. I don't know. But it should be interesting. We do have another bit of casting news, which I think is really surprising. Um, I was very surprised when the photos started surfacing of this particular person on set. Yes. And especially the way she's depicted on set. <laughs> okay. So Rachel Shelley is back filming, and it looks like it's for episode 14. And I'm betting most people here don't remember who she is because she had a very, I wouldn't say small role. She has a big role, but we only saw her, like, a couple times. Mm -hmm. Um, But she plays Mila, which is, as people may know, Rupple's wife, Neil's mom, and Hook's love interest. Yes, she died in the very first episode we ever saw her in, which was The Crocodile, back in season two. And then we saw her again in the episode Manhattan, where we saw sort of how Rumpel and Mila's marriage fell apart when Rumpel came home from the war. I'm shocked that she's back. And I'm more yeah. shocked that she's wandering around the streets of Storybrooke as a crossing guard. Yeah, I'm kind of confused with all of I, this. I mean, she's, she's actually dressed as a crossing guard. The only thing I can think of is that 
remember how we talked about all the people coming up from the underworld? Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can think of, is that she was in the underworld and has returned to Storybrooke. That's what a lot of people are thinking, because there, there are two thoughts. It's either that we are going to the underworld, and that the underworld is going to look like some weird version of Storybrooke. And so Rachel Shelley Mila is in the underworld and like her eternal punishment is to safeguard the lives of children because she walked out on her son. Or it's that everybody that we've been seeing so far, which is Cora, Pan, Cruella, the Blind Witch, and now Mila have been resurrected and are coming to Storybrooke. Right. But I, I don't know why she would be resurrected in Storybrooke and given a job. Maybe because she needs something to do. I have no clue. I don't know. So we'll have to look for that. That is episode 14, though. Yes. Which we do have a title for. Yes, we finally got the title for that. Yes, it's called Devil's Do, and it's written by Jane Espenson. Yep. So obviously this week's episode, Swan Song, is going to be the last one for about three months. Yeah. Um, we'll be back with the spring premiere of season 5B, which does look like the Underworld season, on March 6, 2016. Yay. And I just hit refresh, and I'm sorry, guys, we do not have a synopsis for you. Our, my synopsis is going to be that it's Dark Ones versus the heroes, and but just based on spoiler photos, Emma's curse is going to be broken and Hook is probably going to be sent to the underworld. Well, there you go. That's my synopsis for everybody. Sounds good to me. I okay. wish we had more for you guys. I'm really sorry. Um, like I said, if you can hear clicking in the background, that's me just keep hitting refresh on the ABC site. But um, I think that's all we have for you. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. And you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers. Oh.